Hello, and welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're on location today. This is new. <laughs> this isn't the basement. Yeah. The, 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 That's right. The dungeon, That's if you will. Right. Right. Where I keep Tony, <laughs> pick his brain. Uh, but today we're joined by one of our favorite people, because he's our pastor, and so we have to love him. We're commanded to love him. We're commanded to love him, so hopefully we do that. And uh, we have Pastor Brett Laird, and uh, he's our pastor of uh, Calvary Bible Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And we just kind of wanted to pick his brain a little bit because he's in the thick of it. You are the guy who we come to when we have problems for uh, crisis of faith. Uh, if we uh, are needing marriage advice, uh, you're the person to go to to figure out what God's will is for us. You've, <laughs> you've, you've got just, you know... Real little influence in our lives. So we wanted to come and talk to you, kind of uh, figure out your, your, your past life, how uh, apologetics plays into it, because this is mostly a, a, a show about apologetics and applying uh, God's word to philosophical thought. We break down books, and so now we're going to break down you and figure out uh, just how people that are watching this can better bless their <coughs> pastors, and also affect the world at large. So thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. hey, thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Yeah. This, is, this is a real privilege. Yeah, and Pastor Brett has a very interesting background. He was uh, a missionary in Ukraine for some 15 years, right? Yeah. So before he came, became the pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. So uh, so we're looking forward to seeing what you have to say to us. And, well, and thank you guys for having me on. It's, yeah. uh, you guys have a great <coughs> ministry. And then, um, uh, so I've, I've read uh, Spurgeon's letters uh, uh, to my students uh, because I'm a big nerd and I would do that. Um, and so Spurgeon says, if you can do anything else whatsoever with your entire life, do it. But if you think you can only do ministry, do that. So what made you forsake everything else and, and get into ministry? You know, I, I think that um, ultimately the, the ministry call, right, is driven by the gospel, right? I mean, and, and I think that... Um, you know, every believer is called to ministry. Um, the Lord has, uh, you know, the Spirit distributes gifts according to His will. Uh, the Lord sovereignly then guides uh, the steps of people into different forms of ministry. So, you know, I don't, um, I don't have a huge dichotomy in my mind, right, between vocational and lay ministry. I think that uh, the commands of Scripture are given to all believers. The Lord does uh, assign um, believers to certain roles, and believe He has uh, assigned me to a pastoral role um, and, and called me into that ministry. Uh, for me, that that really began uh, pretty early on, um, and it, it was really just uh, a gospel application issue for me. Um, you know, people are lost. Um, they... Uh, you know, they are, their eternal um, destinies, right, depend upon uh, whether or not they receive Christ as Lord. And so uh, for me, uh, in in my youth as a kid, um, I, as I read the scripture, as the Holy Spirit worked in my heart uh, to, uh, to believe and understand, uh, I began to have a burden uh, for my classmates, for friends. And uh, so for me, ministry began really simply. It began with, um, you know, trying to invite my third grade classmate to, to church, uh, trying to uh, share a little bit of an Awana verse that I had learned uh, with them. And then uh, the Lord just kind of progressively uh, through the years uh, led, um, kind of took that, you know, the Proverbs say, commit your way to the Lord and he'll direct your steps. And um, kind of the way that that, that call fleshed itself out um, you know, in, in junior high and then in high school, I was challenged by our youth leaders to um, to minister in, in our public school environment and had the opportunity to uh, be involved with Bible clubs uh, in the, the assisting of those and, and, and leading those. 
uh, where we were trying to evangelize our fellow students. And at the same time, I kind of had this competing desire to be a fighter pilot. And uh, the Lord was was kind of, um, you know, there was a wrestling that was going on uh, with that. And, uh, you know, this kind of, I usually wear contacts. It's a, it's a good thing, you know, you know, um, that I'm, I have to wear my glasses today cause I got a little eye infection, but it's a good reminder. You can, you know, if the audience can see how thick those are, but you know, when, when the Lord wants to make a path clear, boy, he can, he can make it very clear. Right. And, and he can make it sometimes very clear by, by making everything else unclear. I mean, I, I thought I wanted to be a fighter pilot and, you know, by oh, late elementary school, my vision had deteriorated to such a point where it was, it, it should have been clear at that point uh, that that wasn't a path. But the Lord, I think the Lord really used that. It, it caused me to wrestle, right, with, with, um, with, with two paths and uh, with something that was, I was very excited and passionate about on, uh, in aviation, um, but also wrestling with, with the reality of, of uh, what the Lord's call in my life was. And so, yeah, that, that was kind of some key elements to it. Uh, and then you decided you wanted a bigger challenge and moved to the Ukraine to uh, uh, do missionary work there. Right? Yeah. yeah. So how'd you how'd you get there? How, what what led to that as opposed to you know going into uh, pastoral you know ministry right out of school and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So you know I I think that um, you know as the Lord uh, increasingly put the burden of ministry on my heart and then increasingly made it clear that I couldn't pursue the aviation. I, I, I began to wrestle with that and really came to a conviction that I was called uh, to the ministry. I uh, went to Bible college and then on to seminary. And um, uh, as I was kind of going through seminary, I was pastoring. I was an interim pastor at a small church in Los Angeles and uh, was just planning to continue on uh, there in that ministry. But uh, my final year in seminary, uh, Dr. Uh, Bob Provost, the president of uh, Slava Gospel Association, came and spoke at chapel. And he just talked about the thousands of communities in the former Soviet Union that didn't have a Bible teaching church. And it just made me realize I, I, I listened to that chapel message. And then um, in those days, I would drive the church I was interim at was about an hour away uh, from uh, the apartment that I was renting uh, with a bunch of guys. And so I'd drive on Saturdays. I'd do youth group on Saturday night, and then I'd sleep in the church office uh, overnight on Saturday, uh, preach on Sunday morning, do my visitation in the afternoon, do the evening service, and then drive back and try to hit my homework. And so I had those kind of Saturday nights in the office. And uh, Dr. Provost had preached on the need in the former Soviet Union, the thousands of of uh, communities that didn't have a Bible-speaking church. And I went then from there uh, to that overnight at the church office there in Arcadia Bible Church and um, just sat there and thought about it. At the time, that building was a little older building, not in the greatest condition at that time. And I thought, you know, what, what would happen if this building burned down with me in it? That's <laughs> kind of an odd thought to think. But I was, you know, what would happen? And what would my people, and I love those people dearly, love that, that flock, still love those people. Um, but what would I do? What would they do if the building burned down, pastors gone, no building, no pastor, what would they do? And the answer was really simple. All of them could get in their cars the next morning even and drive 
to one of a number of good Bible teaching churches that were within a 30 minute radius of them in the Los Angeles area. And so that, that for me was the turning point of, of saying, okay, I'm, you know, I'm willing to uh, respond to, you know, to Bob's call to uh, consider ministry in the former Soviet Union. So it wasn't a dream. It wasn't a burning in the bosom. It wasn't uh, a voice from on high. It was those series of events that kind of yeah, it was, it led was, for you to move around the world to a language you didn't know, a people that you didn't know, a culture that was foreign to you. Yeah, so it, it was, um, you know, it was the exhortation of Scripture and um, and and the application of Scripture and and um, you know the um, I would say you know the Lord had done a lot to prepare that over the years too. My my father had had uh, uh, right when the Iron Curtain fell had had gone on a short term mission trip and had had met a an, an old woman in a park who was sitting there crying and they just went up to her you know why are you crying and she said well I've been coming to this park you know for decades you know. And asking God, who are you, and how can I know you? And uh, so, just realizing there's people that had you know never heard of Christ that um, you know that even from my childhood, you know, the, my father reading a book about persecuted pastors to us uh, when we were children, then his trip to the former Soviet Union. There was a lot that the Lord had done to lead up to that. Um, John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, was really influential uh, to me at that time as well. And so by the time Dr. Provost came and, and spoke at chapel, the kind of my heart was already prepared. And um, yeah, so I, I told Bob I would, I would go. And uh, then my first date with my with Katie was the next week, and I was <laughs> immediately tested <laughs> in that uh, in that resolve. So, yeah, uh, I, I remember reading a book, uh, something like uh, the KGB and Me, and it was about a group of three pastors that were invited over to um, Russia when the USSR became Russia, and mm-hmm. the the very first people to call to help with this. I mean, uh, uh, I don't think we have seen a culture shift of that many millions of people. From you know a totalitarian you know attempt to be a communist government that was essentially just fascism, um, to uh, all right now you're free and you have a bunch of people that have lived under that for 60, 70 plus years if not more, um, and then the first people that they ask are pastors to come in and say uh, we're experiencing crisis right now. Uh, so it was interesting that um, that that was the uh, kind of the first call because you think okay maybe humanitarian aid or you know let's let's figure out how to write a constitution but no it's it's help our people yeah yeah I mean there was a spiritual famine and yeah. uh, and so uh, once the wall fell uh, people were really hungry so uh, you moved over there uh, did you have a, a place that you needed to develop or did they kick you off on the bus and you're saying okay here's here's my Here's my field. Let me let me go find my sheep. Or uh, how how was it that uh, that kind of God led you to? Yeah. So uh, so Slavic Gospel Association was partnering with uh, different seminaries around the former Soviet Union. And, and this was around what year? This is 2002. Okay. Yep. So 2002, and uh, there was a need at Odessa Theological Seminary, and uh, so that's kind of, that was kind of my first ministry assignment there. Uh, was uh, teaching courses there and then um, working in local churches as well and uh, and trying to come alongside uh, the president of the school uh, just to help him in ministry and in different things. And so uh, we as Americans know that everyone is like us. Uh, we all have the same <laughs> desires. And so uh, everyone was probably individualistic. They all had uh, um, you know addictions to Western technology and, and, and entertainment. <laughs> so uh, how, how were we the little bit of difference between 
what you saw there and what you were kind of uh, you know known for when you were sure. Um, you know, I think I think there's <clears throat> two aspects of that. Uh, one is human nature is the same um, in in all cultures, right? I mean, the basic components of human nature um, remain the same, um, and uh, the issue of, of depravity, right? And that exists West, East, North, and South, right? The, um, the importance of family, uh, exists everywhere, but, uh, but there are some, you know, major differences in culture and cultural mentality and, um, in how people, uh, communicate and express themselves. And so, you know, there, you know, you definitely go through, uh, culture shock and you definitely have a lot to learn. It's very humbling. Uh, you go, you know, you, you know, you kind of graduate from seminary and go to the mission field, and you're now in a context where you speak at approximately the level of a four-month-old, right? I mean, you can, you know, you can, you can, uh, you know, you can kind of gesture towards a glass of water if you need it, but you don't even know the word for it. And so, um, it was an interesting experience, especially on the language learning side. Is um, it's almost like going through a second childhood, right? Learning just even how to pronounce. The most basic word, and then learning basic words, and then trying to form rudimentary sentences. And um, you know, I'll never forget uh, uh, one time I was uh, with a, a Ukrainian couple, and they had a small child, and I was trying to speak in Russian, and the child just looked up at at, uh, at his mother and said, "How can someone so big know so little?" <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, those are graces of the Lord, right? I mean, you know, and on the church building. Right? <laughs> my, my MDiv did not seem very impressive at that particular moment, you know. So how long was that process in terms of language learning and, and tell you, you know, you felt until you least, left? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, so, yeah, lang- language learning, I, I think you, you're, you're, you never arrive. Um, so, you know, there's different levels of fluency. I think that, um, you know, after about a year's time, I, I felt like I could go to the store on my own and kind of navigate basic things of life on my own. But uh, it was several years before I felt I could really uh, clearly share the gospel well uh, in the language. And then, uh, you know, years after that, before, um, you know, before I could really attempt to preach in the language and different things. And, and um, you know, I, you know, the Lord, uh, you know, blessed us with to, to reach certain levels of fluency, you know, as, as all missionaries would tell you, we always wish you had, had uh, aimed higher and done more and, uh, and, and achieved more in that area. But uh, it's, uh, I really enjoy the Russian language. It's um, it's very similar to Greek grammatically, and so uh, one of the one of the things that's a blessing for me is um, after you spend years, you know, you you get to the point where you think in the other language, and so you start to think in a case based system, and that's that's been a benefit to me just um, in in studying the word to uh, to just be able to you know kind of more you know, mentally process you know that structure of, of language and of, of thinking. So, so when you were teaching classes and that sort of thing, you were teaching in English, my, yeah. my guess. So they yeah. knew English or many of them knew English or, uh, you know, or was it just the students that were going to the school mm-hmm. that knew English or, or how did that work? Yeah. So, um, uh, so, you know, many of the students knew English, but they would, they would have a translator, uh, you know, to, to assist the students uh, that weren't as uh, strong in, in English. And then uh, in the latter years, I did teach uh, some courses in Russian um, and began preaching in Russian as well. 
Um, and I said, as well, not well. <laughs> I preached in Russian as well, not well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure if this goes on, on the Internet, uh, there will be dear friends who suffered, th- who suffered through Brett trying to preach in their heart language uh, with their uh, non-heart accent, I think, is the right way to put it. So That's right. I know English and sometimes it's, yeah. you know, word, word soup that <laughs> yeah. just comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Is it then primarily for the first however many years, are you just teaching gospel only? Are, are, you, are you starting at Genesis and working your way forward? How, how, does, how does that look like for a people that have been cut off uh, from the scriptures primarily? Uh, you know, there's always the, the underhead and seedy, you know, Bible smugglers that come in. And, yeah, and, 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 like and along with that, so uh, this was a former Soviet Union or the, you know, so where did these seminaries come from? I mean, did they just spring up overnight or, I mean, were they always there or how, you know, what, what was? Yeah. So, um, you know, first of all, I mean, the Ukrainian people and, and all of the uh, peoples of the former Soviet Union are, you know, they very highly uh, value education. Uh, so even in the Soviet era, um, there were great efforts made uh, to, you know, to preserve theological texts. Uh, there, there was quite you know uh, a lot of effort and a lot of risk uh, put into um, enabling Bible courses, correspondence-based uh, Bible courses during the Soviet era, and so uh, there wasn't a complete absence of theological education in, in the in the uh, Soviet era. Um, it was highly restricted. It was difficult. Uh, you know, there weren't kind of brick and mortar uh, schools opened up. Uh, but but the the folks there did uh, uh, in you know in in the perspective of the context that they were in it's actually really impressive uh, what they were able to do in, in the area of theological education uh, when the Iron Curtain falls uh, then they are able then to bring all of that kind of you know out in the open and and um, kind of pent up uh, <laughs> stuff just kind of burst out right? exactly yeah. right and 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 you also had a, a pent up desire for theological education right and so there's just the, you know the, those those initial classes in the early '90s, when when the different seminaries were being formed, um, you know, I mean, there there was waiting lines to get in, and and um, and a really exciting time. And I I kind of missed out on all of that. I you know, those were the exciting '90s, and uh, by the time I arrived in the early 2000s, theological education was already very well developed. There were already national professors who had had advanced degrees. Um, in fact, within a few years after I arrived, uh, you know, my uh, my Ukrainian colleagues, in terms of their uh, their degree status and other things, were far uh, far beyond me. And um, so the the role really that that uh, you know that I I, I tried uh, to have there was a supplemental role, just kind of filling in uh, where there were gaps, uh, where there was a need, and um, you know the the most. You know, frankly, you know, kind of humorous and stretching for me as well as for my students. Uh, example was uh, uh, one year the uh, the Ukrainian Greek professor had uh, taken another position um, in another city and had kind of done so kind of unexpectedly, and and uh, so there was a need uh, for uh, someone to teach Greek and. Um, I had never taught Greek before. Greek was is not a specialty area for me, uh, but of the the um, of those of us who were available to teach at that particular block of time, uh, 
no one had taught Greek before, and I was the only one who had had Greek. So, uh, you know, I got voluntold. Yeah. <laughs> I got voluntold. Up to here, lowest common denominator. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, at that point, you know, it's like the A team is down, the B team is down. You know, bring in the water boy. You can see, you know, he, he's at least seen football before, right? So, um, and it was a stretching experience. It was a great learning experience for me. Um, it was tough, uh, tough for me, tough for the students. Um, uh, but we got through it, and uh, you know the ones that put put in the work were able to pass their exams at the end. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't suggested on the Ukrainian end or mine that we would repeat that experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're just priming the pump uh, when when they get someone yeah. who's uh, proficient yeah. in it. Then they're like, oh, that was that yeah. was great. Well, the Lord Lord brought a <laughs> uh, brought in a, a Ukrainian uh, young Ukrainian man, and then also an American missionary who came in and filled in the the you know Greek grammar and then exegesis side uh, remarkably well. And so it, it it began to flourish shortly after. The, uh, the the stopgap guy was gone. <laughs> um, uh, t- Tony and I read a, a book together, uh, not for the show, but before uh, one of the um, the, uh, the Counterpoint series, where um, they were talking about the kind of the influence of of kind of apologetics in in ministry, hmm. and uh, there tend to be a, a person on there that said uh, it was it was about um, biblical inerrancy. Okay, and he was saying that. Um, you know, these debates really aren't happening in, in the world that I'm oh, in, yeah. as far as like outside of the Chicago Statement and the American church. Um, as far as apologetics goes that, that you dealt with, is it uh, I have to uh, provide answers for people who are uh, coming out of uh, an atheistic culture that, that communism promoted? Uh, was it uh, attempt to uh, try and um, dissuade the Russian Orthodox Church, or what? What? What was kind of the the, the main points that you um, kind of had the most uh, experience with with answering? So I, I've always thought about it in in uh, two kind of distinct categories: internal apologetics and external apologetics. Um, you know, external apologetics would be uh, there. You know, by the time I arrived, there was a massive shift away from atheism, right, towards uh, towards a theistic worldview, even in the general culture, even among those uh, that that are not born again believers. Uh, very few Ukrainians uh, in the early two thousands would would still claim to be atheists, although there were were some. Yeah, I, um, even uh, Putin gave an interview mm-hmm. with um, with Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. where he was talking about his. Sure. A move as a, as a KGB officer who mm-hmm. probably did terrible things during mm-hmm. this time. He said this was inevitable to become a Russian Orthodox. It, it, communism had to had to be filled by something. There was yeah. a, such a hole that uh, that it had to be something. And it seems like he almost did. Uh, it's it, it may be more culturally based mm-hmm. for him. I, I don't know his heart, yeah. obviously. And you know the the issues with Russian Orthodoxy as yeah. well. Well, and, and it would be you know the typical person uh, there would would say that they're you know Russian Orthodox or now in Ukraine Ukrainian Orthodox, uh, but for most folks that's um, you know that's a relatively minor part of their life, right? It's something. Uh, that there's kind of major church holidays, uh, that there's kind of obligations. Um, there's, you know, it, you can, you kind of put icons in your car and in your home, but for most people, it, it, it is not a significant part of, of their daily life. And so they're, they're kind of nominally orthodox would be probably the way to, to describe the, the vast majority. And so I think in, in external apologetics, you, you have a, a few dynamics, at least where we were at in Odessa, and that is uh, you have you know, the remaining ideology of atheism right, with a certain 
you know, part of the population that remains convinced, right, of the, you know, Darwinistic, you know, materialistic, um, you know, Soviet style of atheism. Uh, then you have kind of the nominally orthodox, right? The person for whom anything related to religion is this minor part of their life, right? It's a, it's kind of an obligation you do at certain times, but it, it doesn't really affect your life. And then you had the increasing influence of Islam. Uh, you know, Odessa is right a, across uh, the Black Sea from the Islamic world. And so there's an increasing, it's a, it's a, uh, kind of a, a market uh, in a port uh, city. And so uh, there was an increasing uh, influence of Islam uh, in the time uh, that we were there. And so I think those are kind of the main apologetic uh, trajectories there for external apologetics. On, on internal apologetics, um, you know, when, uh, when the Iron Curtain fell, um, everything rushed in, right? The good and the bad. And so... The Russians rushed out and the Russians rushed <laughs> in. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, all of the, all of the theological errors, uh, you know, everything from, uh, from liberalism to the cults, all came rushing in. And, um, and this is in a context in which, you know, for 70 years, in, in one sense, the church was was both isolated by the communists, but also in a, in a certain way shielded from false teaching by the communists, right? Because it just, um, you know, liberalism, for example, right? You know, who's going to go to the gulags for a, a liberal version of, of Christianity where, you know, the uh, you know, the resurrection didn't really take place. It's all just kind of, you know, nice stories. Well, you're not going to go to the gulag for a nice story, right? You're only going to, you're only gonna, going to uh, suffer persecution uh, when you're convinced of, of, of the historical uh, truth of, of the gospel accounts. And so um, I think when the Iron Curtain fell all, and now there's freedom, some of the things that in, infect and, and weaken uh, the church in the West came sweeping in, you know, everything from the cults very aggress- aggressively to, uh, to various forms of, of liberalism. So that, that was a dynamic uh, that the churches there are dealing with. Um, and and that we tried to help them deal with. I think right now, as we speak currently, um, there's a really strong push, especially in Russia, towards uh, an ecumenical, their version of an ecumenical uh, movement. Uh, the Orthodox Church historically in Russia has always had a religious monopoly, and they're working very closely with uh, the government to try to restore that religious monopoly. That's putting a lot of pressure on, on evangelicals and Protestants. And, um, you know, different churches and leaders are reacting different ways. But uh, one uh, trajectory that, that I'm quite concerned about uh, currently is, is a seeming move towards a, an ecumenical way of responding to that pressure of, you know, trying to find a compromise with the Russian Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we've read in the past uh, Michael J. Kruger's Heresy of Orthodoxy where uh, he, him and uh, Kostenberger responds to um, uh, the Bauer-Ehrman hypothesis, which said that uh, what, what existed was first what we consider now heresy in the in the early church, and then through kind of might makes right uh, orthodoxy, quote unquote orthodoxy, uh, came about. Uh, with it, uh, the church being in isolation, you saw then more adherence to what we would consider strict uh, Christian orthodoxy. Uh, you, you didn't really see kind of uh, the impact of uh, the communistic ideals or, or, or uh, whatever else mixing into kind of what we consider Christian orthodoxy. I think that might be the kind of a, a, a from, from isolation to, to um, 
to where, where the influence is at there for Bauer? Well, um, you know, a core theological principle for us is sola scriptura. And, um, you know, in the communist era, the churches, not only were they committed theologically to sola scriptura, but that's all they had mm-hmm. was, uh, in many cases, was the scripture alone. And uh, when your your theology and doctrine is derived directly from scripture, it, you know, the scripture itself distinguishes between truth and error and and um, and so you know the the churches were were very much committed um, you know to the key doctrines of uh, of the gospel and that's because their source of authority and of their uh, faith and practice was scripture alone and so um, it's actually kind of responding in in one sense to uh, the availability and the the influx of of competing ideologies that has been the struggle for them uh, in the years since then. Hmm. Let's move you back to America. Uh, uh, Let's bring you to to our church, uh, which we really appreciate you coming here. It's been a blast. Uh, uh, You you started with Ephesians and I was like, oh, he's starting with uh, uh, doctrine. I'm, I'm, I'm there. And then, and then you get into where I get challenged, which is the application part. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and then um, you've also taught on, um, uh, you're in John right now, which uh, I, I think you were watching our podcast because your last week's message, I was like, he's lifting, he's yeah, lifting stuff yeah, from us. Yeah, yeah, he's stealing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, 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 you know, I mean, I'm, I'm revealing a secret here, but I called Tony on, <laughs> I, 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 on Friday night. Tony, I need your help. <laughs> we had just filmed on Saturday. And I was like, he's talking about post postmodernism. We, we were just talking about that. He's got a bug in, in, in our basement in the dungeon. So, um, and, and that's, uh, by the way, that, uh, you, you hit it out of the park. Yeah. On Sunday. That was a yeah. great message. Yeah. And I appreciate that. That was really, really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. we should let people know where the website is. So uh, oh yeah. We're unfortunately, we're going to have to link to your messages. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Careful now. You don't, you don't want to lose your audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so then, uh, uh, picking back up in America, you, you have this experience. What are, what are the, um, the changes that you, you saw? And obviously, you came back and visited, and um, you, you uh, got married and had kids uh, uh, during that time as well. Um, what does it look like today in the Church of America and in your slice of uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan? Um, and then uh, I'll ask follow-up questions from there. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, I, I think that the uh, probably the the number one observation uh, that I would have, you know, having been those years uh, overseas and then coming back and, and ministering in the American context, is uh, how little difference uh, the economic blessings that we have matter spiritually. Um, it, it's um, you know, I made the comment earlier that human nature is the same uh, wherever human nature is, right? And so, um, you know, uh, people's walk with the Lord and um, how they apply the Scripture to their daily life is really the key. And um, it's not the, you know, the box they live in, right? The house. It's not the box they get places in their car. It's not. It's none of that. And and I think that that's that was really uh, driven home. Just coming back to America and. and you know, now, you know, ministering, um, you know, with and, and, and to uh, people here in our context and just r- realizing that, uh, you know, as the scripture says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
right? It's it really is the issue of the heart. And uh, you know, take a take a a man or a woman who's walking with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, right? And they'll have the fruit of the Spirit, whether uh, there, as Paul and Silas were, you know, singing songs in prison uh, with joyful and happy hearts, uh, or you know, put someone in a mansion, uh, not walk with the Spirit, and, and misery will result. And so, um, I think that's that's a key thing for people in the West to realize is that uh, you know we are we are far too focused on uh, on externals. We have movies like that, that are coming out that are almost responses to American um, uh, gospel called American Gospel Part One, Part Two, and we'll link those in the description. That are that are really good. We we see kind of uh, the the influence of uh, money in, in in the church as far as um, being the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we we um, we don't do without money because we're more spiritually, you know. Uh, Greater, you know, the, the the old story of uh, the monks not brushing their teeth or washing because th- that way they're they're you know sh- shirking off the mortal coil more. Uh, right. But kind of the, this this word word they're separating, yeah, very because much nobody so. wanted to come near. Yeah, 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 that's why they put them behind walls. <laughs> it's one way to avoid it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we we see kind of this word faith movement, this this prosperity gospel, um, becoming almost the. The, what people are responding to as far as when they think Church of America. In fact, I think uh, one of the biggest missionary adventures for people outside of America is coming to America to present the gospel, which is sad and tearful. I, I, I don't know how to describe how terrible that is, uh, but it but it seems like um, that's what we're having to deal with as far as um, when, when, when someone says, oh, you're a Christian and you look like the people that we look like, um, is is that what you're finding too in kind of your ministry as as at large and not not just specifically but you you I mean you you're not bordered off in Michigan and Kalamazoo you you have other influences as well yeah I think uh, you know I, I think this is a, a confused time uh, in in the U.S. Uh, you know old systems are crumbling no one knows what's going to replace them so there's a lot of uncertainty um, but I you know I I was I was Reminded, just even telling the, the church staff uh, just an hour ago, uh, I think these are really exciting times. Um, you know, I think that that uh, you know everybody seems to be kind of wringing their hands and bemoaning that you know statistically the the millennial generation isn't responsive spiritually. I, I have a completely different view on that. I think that the uh, that you know. I believe we, we might be on the cusp of a third great awakening. And I think that the millennials may go down in history for something, for, for things completely different than what are being discussed right now. Um, uh, because they're, um, you know, on Sunday, as, as I was talking, there is the shift. I know you guys have been talking about it and, and, uh, uh, there's a, a major shift away from the postmodern worldview uh, to a very moralistic worldview. And um, as I've interacted with millennials, I just just yesterday had had uh, had lunch with a, a young man um, who kind of earlier in life I identified as a Satanist and now says he's a Stoic of all things, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I told him, I said, "Hey, this is." I said, "You intrigue me. I, you know, <laughs> you're the you're the." First person in your young twenties who says that you're following in, in you know an ancient Greek philosophy yeah. from the third century BC and uh, and it was and um, you know and and talk about just open open to you know I said hey Paul had an interaction with Stoic philosophers in Athens uh, you want to get together and and uh, and talk about it and he was very enthusiastic and open and so I think that there's 
there's a, a lot more opportunity uh, than what we're being told, right? We're the, the media, especially, um, is is feeding us a "the sky is falling" you know mantra day in and day out. And sadly, I think that that the church, church leaders, and people in our congregations are believing that message. Mm-hmm. That's not the message of of the Lord. That's not the message of Scripture. Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lift up your eyes and look. The fields are widened to harvest, right? Harvest is plentiful. Uh, the laborers are few. And, and we don't know. No generation knows. No context knows uh, at what level the harvest will be, right? We don't know uh, whether we'll be in a time of relative famine or relative feasting, right? And in uh, from a spiritual harvest standpoint, but what the Lord is reminding us there is that in every generation, in every context, there is a harvest, right? Lift up your eyes and look. The fields are white unto harvest. What the, what the volume of that harvest will be, the Lord alone sovereignly knows. Uh, but we know there's harvest. Yeah, I, I always say that um, uh, youth must rebel against their parents. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, for my parents' generations, you had free love. Free drugs, uh, you know, you had you had uh, uh, an ideal of we have to be against the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and then my generation rebelled against that, and so you had uh, nihilism, you had uh, cocaine, you know, the, the uh, you can kind of progress American culture through drug use, uh, <laughs> and now now we've shifted from postmodernism, there is no truth to uh, you know social justice or justice. What does that mean in that context? So it seems like people who rebel against people that say. We don't know the difference between a boy and a girl. It seems like the opposite way to, to rebel against that is saying, oh, no, there's objective truth. And Stoicism, I think, will see a big rise in that because there are people that are, are going to want to not declare things as, as true and, and, and wrong. But I think it's going to be a how do you know what, what truth is? Mm-hmm. You know, the pilot, what, what say yeah. you? Yeah. You know, it's truth. So yeah. um, I, think that, that, um, I, I, I think that there's always the ability to look down on, on the generation, but then, um, as Titus 2 says, you know, the, the older should look to serve the younger, and uh, Tony's not that much older than me, but he's, <laughs> he's definitely the, uh, the, I uh, feel the, the other iron that sharpens <laughs> my iron. So, <laughs> um, so then, uh, of course, we'll have to talk about apologetics. Now, I, I was saying, um, uh, I, we, we read these apologetic books, and it seems like we are in feast mode as far as, you know, if, if you're... If you're an uh, evolution uh, uh, Christian, there's so many books that you can read. If you're a young earth creationist, there's so many different resources. It seems like we're discovering, you know, dead people once again who uh, seem to spend all their time just responding over months and months and years and years uh, these these um, theological issues, and and we're finally picking up and reading those. Is is do you, do you see kind of apologetics as being there's too much and 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 noise from culture and we just don't know or what I believe uh, and I don't want to sway your answer here but uh, I come to this church and I'm able to ask the questions like um, are there contradictions in the Bible what what day did Jesus really die on and there are people this man next to me that will give me answers or here uh, here's 12 books and you know I'm I'm looking like I'm back in, in college again. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did choose to, uh, you know, be good friends with the professor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed his library first, and then I, then I talked to him more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, you know, I, I think um, access to information is a blessing, um, and the resources available are a tremendous blessing. But 
um, we, we have to remember that the truth isn't the only team on the field. And, um, and so in, in, a, in an era and a, in a context like we have in which information is so widely available and so many thousands of resources are available, uh, the difficulty for people is finding, right, reliable and true information in the midst of a sea of all kinds of stuff, right? And so, um, you know, I think, you know, it, it creates a good comparison with, with what happened in the Soviet era, right? The, in the Soviet era, right, looking at it from a, from a, you know, from the spiritual conflict perspective, right, Satan was using a restricted approach, right? He's going to restrict people's access to truth, restrict people's access to information. There's going to be one channel of, of information and that's going to be the communists, right? They're going to control everything from cradle to grave. They, there's going to be one controlling ideology that is going to be pounded into the minds of people from the time they're born to the time they die. We're in a, a radically opposite context where it's everything. And so, um, you know, the, you know, the enemy's approach here is to hide the truth through dilution, right? We're just going to, people are going to be so continually blitzed by every form of religion, ideology, philosophy, uh, you know, pop culture, right? It's just going to be, you know, he's going to keep the, you know, the fire hose of information blowing past people so much that they, they, they can't even distinguish, right, between what's truth, what's error. Um, and so, you know, I think that whereas he, he tried to, uh, you know, prohibit people from accessing the truth in, in the Soviet uh, context, the Soviet era, now he's, he's diluting the truth with a, with a ton of error. And that's, that's the confusion of the younger generation is who to believe and what to believe uh, in, in a world full of access. Authority is, yeah. seems to be yeah. a, a, always a big question. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, j- just kind of uh, finishing up here, uh, we, of course, are a podcast about books, so we have to ask you about books. Uh, blanket statement, uh, what are you currently reading? Uh, what would you suggest to read? Um, what, if, what are your favorite things? And um, uh, just uh, in, in general, what, what, what should uh, you recommend to uh, people that uh, find our podcast and want to learn more uh, that you view as important? Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to books, right, we do have just access to, to such a, a bounty and blessing. Um, you know, right now, I'm, I'm uh, working through a, a book by a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Abner Chow. I wrote a book on uh, hermeneutics uh, called The Hermeneutics of the Biblical Writers. Uh, really deals especially with how did, how did the Old Testament prophets, uh, how did they uh, both interpret uh, former revelation and then uh, as the Lord guided them to prepare uh, for the revelation given through the, uh, through the prophets. So it deals with issues of intertextuality. Um, and I really love his, his, uh, his approach and his thesis. It's a, it's a great book for anyone interested in, in um, you know, how the biblical writers uh, quoted and interpreted one another uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, a couple other books that were uh, I just kind of jotted down here because I you know you guys tipped me off this question was coming. It's always a hard question about favorite books because oh, you know, I, I, me I demand question. genre books. I'm like I, it needs to be sci-fi, <laughs> right. about time travel, right. but future time travel, not past time travel. I can give you a top 
20 maybe. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a- ask me this question tomorrow, you'll get a different yeah, list. But right. you know, I-, I would say there's a few just that are kind of classics, right? I, mean, I already mentioned one, right? Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper, uh, I think is, a, is an exceptionally influential book. Uh, not only uh, most people think of it as a missions book, but it's really a, a life paradigm book. Um, what's the highest importance, right? It is the glory of God, glorifying God. Um, I think that on a kind of practical level, uh, there's a book called When People Are Big and God is Small uh, by Ed Welch, uh, which really uh, was impactful to me when I read it in college because it talks about the difference between the fear of man and the fear of God. And most people uh, practically function more based on, upon the, you know, fearing man, the opinions of others, rather than uh, trying to please the Lord. Of course, we know through Scripture, right, that, uh, you know, if your trust is in man, right, you're going to, you know, you're going to be this lonely shrub in the desert, right? Whereas if your trust is in the Lord, you sink your roots down into the stream. So I think that's a great book. And then uh, really one that I think is is just truly a classic, uh, which uh, even though it's it's uh, quite a few years old. Uh, I think it, it still should be read as Our Sufficiency in Christ by John MacArthur, I think, which just really, um, you know, kind of goes through systematically that, that, that core concept uh, that, that, that Jesus and what he has given to us in his word is sufficient, right? We have, we have been given graciously by God everything we need for life and godliness. And uh, so I think that's a, a pretty uh, important Great. We'll uh, include links to that in, in uh, the show notes. And um, again, we thank you for uh, joining us. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Uh, when, when I wrote kind of our first uh, blog article, I, I wrote it for someone who was going actually overseas um, and, uh, and working with my ministry with our former pastor and uh, working uh, a little bit with, with the church as, as deacon. I, I, I understood the, the, the unseen realm of, of pastorhood. And I, I, I get a lot of the answers and, and see um, a lot of the questions that, that, um, that come in from the general public that want, want you to, to sit down with them and, and have all this time, but, you know, you're, you're being pulled in 72 different directions. And so that, that article I, I dedicated to you because um, I, I, I knew what you were coming into with the church and then also, um, you know, just uh, uh, picking up and running and having a family and, and, and um, that, it's just been a blessing to sit under your tutelage and um, be able to, to be blessed by you. So oh. thank you for, for joining thank us Thank you guys here. for having me on. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's a blessing yeah. and uh, pray the Lord will continue to bless this ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, as always, um, uh, we'll cut these up into individual clips so that you can uh, view them, watch them, share them, uh, and then um, uh, just kind of digest them based on your leisure. And then also the, the full uh, thing is, is here on YouTube, on iTunes, wherever your podcast may be. Uh, and uh, join us next time as we kind of pick up uh, where we left off with Nancy Piercy's book, and uh, we'll we'll get back into uh, uh, figuring out what uh, how to attack worldviews. That's right. Yeah, yeah. finding truth. Finding truth. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So Good. thank you. Thank you. See you next time.